Good morning, Les Bowles. It is good to be with you. Uh, thank you, ladies. Is there anybody else who goes into that awe of God place when they hear beautiful voices and a beautiful song like that? That's, thank you. That was really beautiful. Um, so Nathan uh, called me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, we're looking at doing an awful Christmas and we thought of you. Didn't know exactly how to take that, uh, but he explained it. And what a gift, what a gift to take a journey with you into the awe of Christmas, the awe of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, right? Um, the amazing things coming out of November, the amazing things he's done in our life, this expectation of who he's going to be today, who he's going to be tomorrow, uh, who he remains in our lives. Uh, what a gift. And of course... Uh, in the midst of this, I told Nathan this morning, I've written probably close to three to 400 sermons in the last couple of weeks, um, <laughs> with God pulling me back into this place at 4.30 this morning that said, Eric, if it's going to be about awe, and if it's going to be about my lordship, it's certainly not going to be about your performance. It's just inviting people into this place. And so as I look back, my parents are here today uh, in the front row here, and uh, I just turned 40, and it was one of the most beautiful birthdays I've had. Uh, I got to share it with wonderful friends, with my beautiful wife, with my family, with my boys, uh, and what made it particularly meaningful, and some of you know my story, but my 30th birthday was spent on my parents' couch in their basement, laid out sick with all the diagnoses of exclusion that you could have for a year. Um, and so the juxtaposition of a, of a decade of what God had done in my life was incredible. Recently, my mom shared a story with me uh, of how during that period when I was on the couch, she was reading an article in the newspaper. And this article was about a young man about my age at that time uh, that was doing these incredible things for God. And my mom shared with me, she wept. Because that's what she'd always thought would happen with me. And there I was, laid out on that couch. Uh, nearly, I mean, not in the place that she thought I would be at that point. And so ten years later, here I am. And I'm in awe of God. I'm in awe of what he's done. Because it hasn't been Eric's ten steps to transformation. It's been this invasion of the kingdom. This invasion of the king in Eric's heart and in Eric's life. Uh, that's the only reason that somehow I'm he here uh, speaking with you today. Right? Uh, and what a gift, as we talk about gifts, to talk about the Magi. Uh, this was an unusual story. While we've kind of pocketed in and, and kind of made it fit our Christmas story. This story of the Magi is really, is really a standalone story in itself and really draws us into the awe of God, um, making this long journey uh, when post-birth. Um, and so in that mold, I thought that Emily and Ryan did such a good job last uh, time of doing the trivia as they gave out tickets. Uh, so is there anybody that wants Christmas tickets today? Raise your hand. All right, they're on sale right now. Did everybody, they're on sale right now uh, out there. Um, no, we're going to do, do some pop quiz on the story of the Magi. 
And so the first question is pretty easy. Uh, what were the three gifts that the Magi brought? Spell one that's not gold. <laughs> oh, close. We'll give it to you anyway, Caitlin. That's good. All right. Uh, how many wise men were there? Who's that voice? Same family? We can't do the same family. Yeah, we don't know. Uh, it says, behold, wise men came from the east. And we pretty easily associate the three because of the three gifts. But actually, there was a whole caravan uh, that likely came. And, and we don't know how many there were. Uh, how old was Jesus when they visited, when the Magi visited Jesus? I'm getting everybody on this side. Two-ish, two right? Somewhere, somewhere under, uh, somewhere around one or two. And we know that uh, because Herod then set out a decree to kill all the children two and under, right? So Jesus was somewhere around one or two. And then finally, where were the Magi from? We're going to go way back. We're pointing at you. What do you have? What did she say? You, had, you were pointing at someone. East. Yeah, probably. <laughs> we don't really know. <laughs> uh, by the way, Ryan Long said that those are totally redeemable as long as you bring eight, eight people with you for each of those. Uh, he promised me that that was the case. Um, yeah, we don't know. It says from the East. Uh, there's, a, there's a connotation with the Magi as where they might have been. Some people... Uh, point to the gifts that they brought and where those likely would have been. And truth is, we don't really know for sure where they came from. Ryan Long also promised he was going to bring the podium up for me. We'll, we'll see what we can do. Uh, I have another question, quickly. Uh, how many times does God speak in dreams to people in the first two chapters of Matthew. Any idea? It blew me away the first time I saw this and noticed this. And acknowledging that the first half of the first chapter of Matthew is pretty much all genealogy. Five times. Five times God talks in dreams. Four times to Joseph and one time to the Magi. Um, that really stuck out to me the first time that I, that I read that. Uh, God speaks to me in dreams. And earlier this year, I had a dream, one of the most incredible dreams that I've ever had. I was sitting just in a, a suburban neighborhood at a table of people outside. And all of a sudden, this music kicked up, and people began to sing this song. And they started moving all in this same direction. And I found myself standing up and singing this song that I'd never heard. But it was something to, the, you know, something to the tune of All Hail King Jesus, something like that. And as I came around the corner, I saw Jesus, unmistakable Jesus in the sky. This huge rock mountain face, bronze, beautiful, powerful uh, looking man in the sky. And the truth is, that's, that's going to happen. It's going to happen. It may not look exactly like my dream, but he's coming. Not only, 
not only did he come at Christmas, but Jesus is coming again. Right? And it will be different. He will come in glory, right? the Bible says. And it'll be a way different experience than, uh, than we read in Matthew 2. Many people who know me know the affinity that I have with this symbol, right? What is this symbol? Ampersand, right? Some people don't know that anymore. So the ampersand, it's right above the seven on the keyboard, and it just means and. And God really pointed out to me a couple years ago now the beauty of the and. While you and I want to do buckets, whether it's people or ideas or concepts. Does this person belong in the good bucket or the bad bucket? Right? Either or. Does this idea belong in the good bucket or the bad bucket? Either or. But the truth is, God in his fullness, just like uh, the gals were singing earlier, he has these names that reveal his character. Uh, and he's not contained by any one of them. Uh, and he also doesn't sacrifice one for the other. You and I have a hard time figuring out, well, how do I balance mercy and truth? Right? It feels like I've got to give one, give up one to get more of the other, and vice versa. But God is 100% mercy and 100% truth, and he doesn't sacrifice either one to be the other. It's incredible about our God. And I think stepping into that gives us a greater appreciation for who he is and leads us well into the story of the Magi. Because the truth is, our God is mercy and truth. Our God is grace and vengeance. He is greatest and good. He is love and hate, yielding and jealous, faith and works, one-on-one -on -one and community, peace and holy unrest, seasonal and unchanging, sovereign and, un and self-limited, creator and friend, defender and respecter, able and co-laboring, holy and, re and reaching out to sinners. He's forgiving and judge. He's free and priceless. He's worthy and humble. He's timeless and present. He's tester and refuge. He's refiner and comforter. He's beginning and end. And for the sake of today, he is both our savior and he is our king. And I think the story of the Magi do this incredible job of pointing to Jesus as king. We get savior, uh, and the question is, do we sometimes miss the kingship, the lordship of Jesus as we focus on the savior? It almost sounds heretical, right? I mean, it's, but it's this idea that it's 100% of both. What does it look like to call Jesus both king and my savior? Well, I think that the Magi give us some clues as to what that looks like. I think they do an incredible job of pointing to how we can expect the king, how we can persevere toward the king, and how we can then worship the king. So first, expecting the king. Matthew 2.2 can read this. Yeah, that's easier. For we have seen his star rising in the east. 
This is a simple sentence, but it's really power-packed. It's first this idea that you have to be looking uh, in order to expect something. There is something about the Magi, whoever they were and wherever they were from, they were expecting something. And they knew that it wasn't a star somehow. They knew that it was his star. And they knew generally where to look for it. They knew that this was a sign. So does the way we live, interact, pray, does it reflect an expectation of the king? Not just the savior who who will come and get us out of a bad situation, but also a king who works in kingdom principles and out of a kingdom. Or like the Jews... Do we expect a different type of king or a different type of kingdom? I know in high school and in that area growing up, uh, I probably accepted Jesus into my heart roughly 450,000 times, just under how many times I wrote this sermon. (laughs) And fortunately, I had a Catholic and Episcopal background that gives you a lot of choices. You can genuflect left knee, you can genuflect right knee, you can start to the left, you can start to the right. Um, but wondering, why is it, God? Why is it? I'm giving, I'm giving my heart to you. Why is it that my external circumstances aren't changing? Why is that? Truth is, I had certain expectations of the king that I had formed, not let him form. And that's this vastly different perspective uh, that I think that the Magi give us. Uh, They expected and they knew where to go and what to do in the midst of that expectation. And so it's good to ask, how can I intentionally pause? We're in a season of hurry. But the truth is, throughout the year, if somebody asks you how you're doing, the most typical response these days is, Fine, busy. Fine or busy, right? Busy busy tends to be uh, a word that shows up more and more. And the truth is, the Magi paused enough to be observant and looking uh, for what was coming. And do we miss that because we don't pause? What do we need to do to reclaim that pause in our lives that really helps us to know him because we're listening to him, we're reading, putting him, letting him form our perspective, not the world around us, and then ultimately expecting him on his terms? What would that look like for you? That then leads us into the idea that the Magi persevered toward the king. This was an incredible journey, truly a standalone story in the Bible, an incredible journey of, if they came from Persia, it was roughly eight to nine hundred miles. That's about from here to uh, Branson, Missouri, which is where we were close to recently. And for those of us that have traveled, especially with young families, in a car, not on a camel, (laughs) eight to nine hundred miles is a long ways. And so there was a lot of perseverance that happens 
that happened probably outside of what we even hear in the story. Um, Matthew 2.10 says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Again, this is an easy verse to skip over, but it's pretty amazing. They'd been following the star all the way to Jerusalem, to where Nathan uh, talked to us about last week with King Herod. And the truth is they sat before a king, got his input, and this was right after that. They are like, yeah, we met with a king, but they had exceedingly great joy when they were brought back into that place of where they knew truth was, where they knew they were supposed to go. Right? On some level, they had put down what they're seeing, feeling, experiencing right here, and they had looked up and set their gaze and their focus there. Because the truth is, we move toward what we focus on. Right? We move toward what we focus on. We typically end up where we set our gaze. I went mountain biking with a friend earlier this year, and I hadn't been mountain biking uh, and what he told me, the best advice he gave me, he said, you're going to want to focus on those rocks in the road that you want to avoid. Don't do it. You'll hit them. <laughs> focus on the trail that you want to run. And he was absolutely right. There were a couple times that I looked at the rock. What I hit? The rock. <laughs> the slow learner, apparently. Uh, but those other times, it was absolutely true. I set my gaze on the path that I wanted to go, and the bike went that way. And isn't that true of us? Isn't that true of us, that we, we end up where we set our gaze? Am I like the Magi, ready to count as secondary what is in my face and what might be worldly wisdom to set my focus on God? About five, well, about four years ago now, uh, Melissa and I were at a, a boys' ranch, and that time ended. And I found myself in a place where I had a master's in marriage and family counseling. I had an undergrad in economics. I had oil and gas business consulting experience and background, and I had Christian nonprofit. I had a recruiter tell me, you never, ever want to show your resume to anybody. It makes no sense, and they'll probably send you to see somebody. It doesn't make sense. Right? And so, uh, yet I had a wife, I had two small boys at the time that I needed to provide for. So as we sought God, what I heard him say clearly, he's like, Eric, don't seek employment. Seek me. Seek me. And that hasn't been an easy four roads, and he has been so faithful in the midst of seeking him. My wife has been so faithful seeking him with me. And now I'm in a job that truly is more than I would have known to ask for. Uh, doing what lights me up and engages my talents. Not because I was seeking it, but because I was seeking him. And so that's the question for us, for us all. Where is my focus? And is that where I want to be? As I, as I think about the things that I focus on in my day-to-day, is that a place where I want to be? Or maybe do I need to reset my gaze? 
Then lastly, the Magi give us this picture of what it is to worship the king. Worship, in a nutshell, uh, there's a lot of ways to describe it. Worship, in, in a nutshell, is putting God on the throne of all areas of my life at any given point. Right? It's pretty easy to say, for me, it's been easy to say, yeah, God's on the throne of my life. Until he points out to me, hey, Eric, well, what about, what about your finances? Is he on the throne of your finances? What about the way that you speak, especially to the ones closest to you? Is he on the throne there? What about the throne of your exercise, of your work, of your parenting? Is God on the throne? The wise men, the magi, show up and they give what they have to the king. And the beautiful part about that is God, God wants something from you. God wants you to show up and he wants something from you. Do you know what that is? It's you. God wants you to show up and give yourself to him, to say, be the Lord of my life. So what is my response to the kingship of Jesus and how I encounter him? How do I fully offer him what he really desires, which is me? It's an incredible picture at the beginning and the end of Jesus' life that we can't serve two masters. That's a big throne, and you would think that they did that for me, and I appreciate that. When I saw that rolled out, I was like, thank you, God. That's, that's perfect. Um, but there's not room. As big as it is, there's not room for two. And the beginning of Jesus' life, there's this label, King of the Jews, that leads to the massacre of many small children, babies. At the end of his life, there's this title, King of the Jews, that hangs at the top of Jesus' cross as he dies. We can't serve two masters. So the question here is, what is one area of my life that I will put God on the throne of today. What's one area? What's he pointing out to you in this kind, loving, fatherly voice? It's time. I get that you've grabbed onto this for a long time. It makes sense. And now I'm inviting you to an exchange. I'm inviting you to put me in my rightful place. Because what happens? It's such good news. The kingship of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus is such good news for us. Because you know what it means for Eric? I don't have to figure it all out. That's really good news. When I find myself in my toughest places, it's normally because, including this sermon, by the way, it's typically because I'm trying to grasp onto these things. Right? How do I do it? What do I have to do? How do I interact with this person? What do I do at work? How do I do this? When really, that's not, that's not how kingdom works. We have a king that we can come boldly before, Hebrews says, and we can present our request to him. And he will respond. And then ours is to just trust and to obey. 
And so, in the spirit of this season and in the spirit of the fact that many of us are going to sprint out these doors and go right into the, the busyness of the season again, I'm going to ask him to play uh, a song. It's Here's My Heart, which is a beautiful song. Um, and it's basically saying, here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. It's David's prayer in Psalm 139. To search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Pick out any way that's not of you, God, and lead me in your ways. And so as she plays this, I would encourage you, just for a minute, pause and consider, what is one area of my life that I can put God on the throne today? God cares about his body. And just like Nathan was saying earlier, there is a transition going on. Right? And not only is there this place that I think it's the right timing to say, here's my heart, Lord. I think it's the right time to say, here's our heart, Lord. Here's our heart. Speak what's true. And so I'd ask as she plays maybe for one more minute that you would stand and that you would hold the hands of the people next to you with the prayer being, here is our heart. Here's our heart, Lord. Two weeks ago, I was on the phone with a gal from our life group that had been battling cancer. And her son was on the phone too. And there was this indication that time probably wasn't long, but it was hard to tell. If, you, if anybody's been on the phone in that type of situation, it's so hard when you can't see somebody. And so a week ago today, I went and I visited her. Her name was Ari. And 
when I showed up, it was, uh, it was different than what I expected. Uh, she was really close. Uh, physically, there was no indication that she could even tell that I was there. And so after getting over a little bit of that shock, uh, I sat down and I just read to her. I just read out of the Bible. And I wasn't looking up when this happened, but her caregiver, uh, as I was reading Psalm 96, said, oh, 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 oh. She said, amen. Found out the next day that Ari had passed. There's a really good chance that her last words were amen. How cool is that? God, may it be true of us. And so as I read, we're going to do two things to end. I'm going to read Psalm 96. I want you to picture just coming to the Lord and declaring this to him. And then that's going to flow into uh, you are worthy of it all that we're going to sing after that. Uh, So whatever makes sense to you, whatever God's calling you into in worship this morning, do it. Sit down, raise your hands, get on your knees, whatever it is. If you want to read along with me as as I read this, do it. This is our act of worship. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all of the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. You are so faithful, God. We worship You. You are worthy of it all.